Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that proudly gives you the alternative facts to all aspects of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program we have news stories including Toyota launches its latest GR86 small sports car, Land Rover Defender's special 75th anniversary model, BMW and Mini go for vegan interiors, Hyundai gets its first 1-2-3 in World Rally Championship, and the Queen's unusual cars. In our feature story, the Hyundai i30N is more than a hot hatch, it's a performance saloon as well. And our interns road test the Hyundai Ionic 5 electric vehicle. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. But for this program, first the news. Toyota has launched the latest model of their smaller sports car, the 86, which they have added GR in front of the name to bring it in line with their other performance vehicles. The GR86 is badge-engineered with Subaru's BRZ and has the Subaru horizontally opposed four-cylinder engine of 2.4-litre capacity. Toyota's launch is eight months after the similar Subaru. Toyota prices are the same for the manual or the automatic version. Before on-road costs, the GT is $43,240 and the GTS is $45,390. Sports cars account for less than 1% of total sales in Australia, even though there are 37 different models with sales so far this year. So far this year, there are eight models in the under $80,000 category, The dominant player is the Ford Mustang, while the Subaru BRZ comes second. Vehicles greater than $80,000 and less than $200,000 have the biggest range with 18 different models. Top of the sales list is the BMW 4 Series Coupe and Convertible. There are 11 different models in the over $200,000 category, with the biggest seller being the Porsche 911. In 1948, the first Land Rover was introduced at the Amsterdam Motor Show and was called the Series 1. The vehicle later became known as the Defender as improvements were made. Land Rover have now released a new variant to celebrate the 75th year anniversary. It is based on the latest model but only comes in one colour, Grasmere Green, which is a paler colour than the full British racing green and more in line with the greens we see on older models on army and royal vehicles in parades. It's equipped with some of the latest technology, including 3D surround camera, matrix LED headlights, and configurable terrain response. It is available in the shorter wheelbase 90 model and the longer wheelbase 110 model, and both are powered by a 294 kilowatt 3-litre petrol engine with mild hybrid technology. The recommended retail price before on-road cost starts at just over $152,000 for the three-door 90 and just over $156,000 for the four-door 110. Just 75 examples will be available in Australia. The Defender is in the large SUV class for vehicles priced over $70,000. This category is led by the BMW X5. The Defender is in fourth place ahead of vehicles such as the Volvo XC90, the Land Rover Sport 
Audi Q7, Volkswagen Touareg and the BMW X6. The BMW Group plans to launch its first vehicles featuring completely vegan interiors in 2023. This might be seen as a trendy marketing ploy to a small but vociferous part of the market, but it is being pursued for a very serious reason that car manufacturers around the world are addressing as a matter of urgency, sustainability and climate change. The reduction of CO2 emissions over the entire life cycle of a vehicle is the central goal of the BMW Group, which includes BMW vehicles and minis, and it's their path to climate neutrality, which is to be achieved by 2050 at the latest. Material selection has a key role to play in achieving this goal. Leather-free surfaces reduce CO2 emissions from fabric productions by 85%. Climate neutrality and a circular economy are BMW's top priorities. Hyundai Motorsport has dominated the Acropolis Rally, the 10th round of the 2022 World Rally Championship with its first ever 1-2-3 finish. Thierry Neuville and navigator Martin Wadega finished first, with Ott Tannik and Martin Javoja in second, and Danny Sordo and Cardido Carrera in third. Hyundai Motorsports started competing in the WRC in 2014 and won the ninth round of that series, but to date they have never won the overall Drivers' Championship. They have run the Manufacturers' Championship twice in 2019 and 2020. Hyundai also won the FIA World Touring Car Cup Championship in 2018 and 2019. With the passing of Her Majesty the Queen, some coverage has been given to her most regal cars that she has owned. The Rolls Royces, the Bentleys and the Land Rovers. But she has also had some more everyday cars. She owned a Ford Zephyr and then a number of Vauxhall Crestas. A Cresta is not a particularly pretty vehicle, but hers was a bespoke station wagon made for taking family and friends around the estate and on shooting expeditions. She also owned a Renault Dolphin, an everyday economical car in the style of the Volkswagen Beetle. She was given it after she visited the factory in 1957. But Prince Philip was never given a Hillman Imp, even though he officiated at the launching of the vehicle. He is reported to have said, I officially launched this thing, whatever it is. And that has been the news. Ford has stopped selling its hot hatches, the Festiva and the Focus STs, in Australia. But others have not given up. Toyota is pushing its performance vehicles with the prefix GR. If you have an S or an R in front of your Audi model name, it means more performance. BMW has the M variants and Mercedes the AMG. Hyundai has developed hot versions of many of their cars and they signify them with the letter N. Their i30N passenger cars come in a hatchback or a sedan. We've been driving the sedan. Getting a performance model at the lower price points in the market has often meant a hatchback, but the Hyundai i30 sedan is an elegant-looking vehicle. Is there a place for smallish passenger sedans that are very competitively priced and perform particularly well? Paul Morell is the founder and main writer for SeniorDriverOz.com 
and he gives us a historical perspective. As the automotive landscape changes, and it certainly is changing, cars like this will appeal to, obviously, enthusiasts, and presumably there will always be enthusiasts who want that degree of individuality and performance. The sedan is quite different in its looks from the hatchback, doesn't it? The the sedan looks long, sleek and flowing, really, doesn't it? It's always been a category ever since, basically since the 70s when Peugeot came out with the 205 and Volkswagen came out with the original GTI of the hot hatch. And sedans, for some reason, have never really quite latched on to that. I mean, we in Australia had large sporting sedans like the Falcon GT and the, the Holden Monaro and whatever. But in that smallish category, it's always been the hatch. And sedans have always been wagging along behind very quietly and not very popularly. Perhaps the exception was the WRX. The WRX is probably the one exception. Thank you for picking me up on that. <laughs> but yes, of course, the WRX is the, the one sedan that, that really was the equivalent of the hot hatch. And it probably to some extent still is. It still is probably the the one performance car in that size category that, that still stands up in the class. It came with a rally background, which had a certain rawness to it. They've evolved with the WRX. Now the i30, though, is the sort of thing that you might have bought an Audi for, a sedan with performance but elegance. Do you see that in the Hyundai? In the Hyundai Hyundai sedan? Mm. Yeah, it had never occurred to me, to be honest. I guess like most people, I tended to completely and utterly overlook the i30N sedan. Although I must admit, I did drive it at, um, at the Bend in South Australia. And it was very impressive. It's just one of those cars that you you tend to think of the hatch first. You're right, though. In some ways, it is the successor to the small European performance sedans. It still seems to me that the hatch guys are the serious guys and the sedan guys are willing to make a bit more of a compromise. And that could be completely and utterly wrong, by the way. I, I don't make any guarantees that that's the truth. It's just my perception. After such ruminations, let's get the numbers from the company. Bill Thomas is the General Manager for Communications at Hyundai Australia. The first question is obviously, what's selling more, the sedan or the hatch? Surprisingly enough, David, the the sedan. Um, Year to date, we've sold 798 sedans and 658 hatches. In the end format? Yes, both ends. So the sedan is slightly ahead there. Some of this, though, is is all obviously supply-related. So as with most brands at the moment, David, we, we are restricted by supply and we're selling what we, we get. At this point, I think that is it's more a factor of supply. I mean, both cars are going well and we're, we're very happy with sales numbers. Even then, even, even taking that into account, it's great to see the sedan selling well. The sedan came out after the hatch. Does Bill think that there is some noticeable differences in the sedan more than just its looks? It is, and it's quite refined. It's different in character to the hatch in that way, in that it, it's, it's, it has an, an extra level of comfort in its, in its ride and, and in its um, noise vibration and harshness suppression. It's just a little, a little more modern, a little newer in, in design, and just a little quieter overall. So it's got a little slightly different character to the hatch, which to a larger extent is sort of always on. You know, you, you always feel you're driving something that's ready to go. You know, the ride's a little harder and the overall experience is a little bit more focused where the sedan can obviously turn that on when it needs to. You press the end button, go to end mode, and you're you're in full noise. But 
there's a, a, an extra character about the sedan, which is just a little bit more hushed and a little bit more refined. So we're finding that, that buyers appreciate that. Manuals versus automatics, well, the dual clutch. Is there many manuals being sold on the market? Yeah, it's surprisingly quite a few. And this is a reflection on, on the, the nature of the end brand. But we're looking, you know, the currently it's running at about 36% manual. Oh, are you surprised by that? Not really. It's about in line with where we're expecting. I seem to remember that the, the guys in product were predicting around 30 to 35%. It's just because the, the enthusiast driver is happy to, to be in full control of the car. There's, there's a within that market, a, a large group of enthusiasts who, who've grown up with manual transmissions and prefer to drive them. My information from within Hyundai is that, that you know, for, for performance cars, the the manual isn't going to disappear anytime soon. You know? <laughs> so I'm happy about that. My, my personal cars are manual and I'm quite happy with it. <laughs> As an ex-editor of Wheels, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, <laughs> yes. And I signed that in the nicest possible way, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. No, it's good. It's got a couple of nice features with the manual transmission as well. It's got an auto- automatic blip function on downshifts and Got another nice um, little feature where the engine revs a little bit when you let the clutch out. Just gives you a little bit of it automatic revs just to make it smoother to to ease forward. Are you finding that it's a predominantly male market that's buying these? Well, it's you would think that as a cliche, but we, you know we we hold um, in Australia events regularly. We we have track days and get-togethers and drive meets, and we're finding a good number of female owners. We wouldn't stick to that cliche that it's a completely male-dominated segment. If you look at um, in Australia on on Facebook, you can see uh, regular um, what we call "I'm an en- enthusiast," which is a a little uh, portrayal of owners and their cars and why they love them. And we've got some fantastic female presenters there talking about their cars. So, yeah, we are a little bit, to be honest, just a little bit surprised by the the take-up of female buyers, and that it's it's a really pleasant surprise. It's great. We're, we're very happy with that. Both i30Ns have a 2-litre four-cylinder turbo engine with 206 kilowatts, which is about the same as the latest WRX. And the Hyundai has 392 newton metres of torque, which is 42 newton metres more than the WRX. We asked our road tester, Evan Jones, if this power output was enough. For a car that seems to be light, yes, yeah, had more than enough power to excite someone on the road for sure, and I suspect on the track as well. I don't think you have to be supercar class to enjoy a good performing vehicle. It felt right, didn't it? You're a man who liked these sports cars and that. It, it felt good to you? Yeah, yeah, I liked its nimbleness. It had a nice feel to it. Uh, it had really nice feedback. A car very easy to get get comfortable with as a performance car, exceptional, actually. And it drove both with a certain sure-footedness, but how was it in the general day-to-day traffic? It has a sedate setting. It's sedate in inverted commas because it's still reasonably lively, but very comfortable, very easy to drive. If you want to save fuel or you're caught in traffic, yes, it has a, it has a sedate mode where the gear changes are nice and early. It still stays within its torque band quite happily, and it's and it's quite well-behaved car. And uh, you can go up to things that make it burble or snake, snap, crackle and pop a bit for those that enjoy that sound. That's something that is music to your ears? It's got a number of exhaust settings, as it turns out, from you know, the quiet chopping trolley through to, as you say, the 
what they like to call their their rally setting, and it does have a definite crackle and pop overrun on it, which does sort of cast your mind to the World Rally Championship cars. But, you know, if you want a bit of excitement, it's great. And the rear seats fold down. Yes, the rear seats fold down, but then you discover there's cross brace between the, the boot and the back seat, which is good for the guys who are going on the track. It makes a nice stiff chassis. Not so good if you're trying to put a long load in, unless you're putting it right down the middle, or you put a couple of blankets over the cross brace so you don't scratch it. Yeah, you might get a, a set of skis through the gaps. Yeah. Paul Morell took it on the racetrack. Did it meet his expectations? It more than met my expectations. It absolutely amazed me. It was such an easy car to drive on the racetrack, so predictable, and that straight at, at the bend is quite a long straight, and it goes uphill, so you're approaching the first the first corner, corner one. And I was doing that regularly at, at quite high speeds, and the brakes never let me down. I mean, the steering was precise. I knew exactly where the front was going. I knew where the where the the wheels were pointing. There are a number of features that give you confidence and remove some of the complexity of recording your performance on the track. Every N car in the Hyundai range has track mapping. Using the GPS, it knows when you are at a specific track. As you drive around it, it determines which layout of the circuit you are on, and it also knows where the start-finish line is. If you start the record system, it gives you all your lap times without you having to think about it. Evan has done his share of track days in the past, so what does he think about this technology? It's incredible. It seems that it knows where you are by the GPS system, and if you go to some of the tracks like Sydney Motorsport Park or the Bend in South Australia, which has multiple layouts, you basically do one lap, and the car says, ah, that's the layout you're using, and it sets itself for that, and start timing it. It's it's clever. Bill tells us how it was set up. We had to drive the inside line of the track and the outside line and make sure that was all recorded and then obviously note the start-finish line and then note every track layout and drive the inside and outside curbs on every every single one. So we had quite a labour-intensive but excellent program of um, of, uh, the guys going around here in Australia and mapping the tracks. I presume you had enough volunteers to do that. (laughs) Yes, I tried to volunteer, but there was already a long queue. (laughs) (laughs) The other feature that gives you a sense of security is that you do not void your warranty if you go on a typical track day. Again, Evan has a thought about that. I think they're unique in that regard. Yes, so if I've read the warranty notes correctly, your warranty does cover you for going out to track days, non-competitive track days. Places like City Motorsport Park has fairly regularly where you go out and you basically go for a fang. Having identifiable branding of your performance car seems to be a good idea, but how exclusive should it be? Paul gets on his soapbox. To be honest, I wish that Hyundai hadn't sort of diluted the purity of end performance by bringing out the N line, which just confuses people no end. So you have a Hyundai i30N and then you have the Hyundai i30N line and the N-Line is sort of like a luxury package. Although I'm having said that, I suppose BMW and Mercedes are doing the same thing with AMG and, and M, so it's not unique to Hyundai. But it would have been nice to keep that end performance thing as a pure, unsullied sub-brand. Bill gives a rundown of what the N-Line means and who might go for this specification. So N-Line gives you extra with the car, uh, and it's obviously related to N in that it, there's a performance aspect to it. Mostly it's 
a performance upgrade in, in, in some way, or it can be just, just cosmetics. But either way, you get an extra dose of N with an N-line car, which is obviously the strategy behind it. You, you want to have the halo N cars, and then you want to make sure that you're affecting the, the general range by having N-lines available. And um, again, we found N-line packages to be very popular. Is that a different market? Yes. Less passionate um, about maybe going to a track day, but still wanting to look distinctive? That's it. Yeah. Generally speaking, yes. It is available with an eight-speed dual-clutch transmission or a six-speed manual, and in fact, they're at the same price of $49,000 plus on roads, I believe. That's not bad, is it? For fifty grand plus, if you want to put a sunroof on, it's another $2,000. I wouldn't do that. Metallic paints, $500. Fixed-price servicing and so on. That's a fair good bang for your buck, I reckon. It's really good value. That's really good value. And you've got the what I think is now legendary Hyundai reliability. Ironically, if you want to go down the road of the auto or if you like the paddle paddle change with the extra two gears, it's actually faster in a naught to 100. It's faster than the six-speed. Yeah, basically 50-plus on roads. And you get a lot of car for that. You know, I had someone approach me the other day and he said, I want to get back into, I want to get back into motorsport at an entry level or club level, what do you suggest? And we talked about the sort of cars that were available to him. And he said, oh, what about the Toyota Yaris, GR Yaris Rally? Mm. And I said, yeah, look, top little car, but it's a $60,000 car. And I said, you know, get into a Hyundai i20N or the i30N. And I actually, for him, I would have recommended the i20N even more so than the i30. But just for everyday use, and this is the thing that I think Hyundai have done very well with this car, they have actually now made it more usable on an everyday basis. In all, the Hyundai i30N is a hot sedan with style and usability. You're listening to Overdrive. I'm Florence Fuller, a media and communications student at Macquarie University. I'm interning with fellow student Rebecca Park at Northside Radio Station. Rebecca and I were lucky enough to get the opportunity to review the all-new, all-electric Hyundai Ioniq 5. There are many aspects to this car that we found were quite amazing. However, some proved to be a little bit tricky or maybe even slightly confusing. I sat down with Rebecca and we spoke about our thoughts on the new Ioniq. So Rebecca, when you first saw the car... What were your initial thoughts? Actually, um, among the other cars that were parked, when I saw the car, the Hyundai Ioniq 5, I was like, wow, this car looks very futuristic to the rest and that it has so many outstanding features. I'm the same. I think I was drawn to the unique styling of the rims of the car. When I first saw the car, the rims had this really intricate geometric patterning on the outside of them, something that I don't think I've seen before in a car. Yeah. And also, do you, if you see the feature of the car, you would see the features on only like expensive cars like Benz or Audi, you know, those really expensive cars. And I think if you took the Hyundai badge off the front of the car, it, you could easily replace it with the badge of an Audi and people wouldn't think anything different. Very stylish. It's very sophisticated. It wasn't sort of your traditional looking Hyundai in a way. Because traditional cars, they use a curve for the designs, whereas Hyundai i 5, they use the straight lines for the design, which makes really the car stands out. 
What features of the car did you like most? Being a passenger, actually, I really like the glove box, which is open like a drawer, which makes it easier for myself as a passenger to open glove box, but gives more room to it so I can put a lot of stuff in there. And you know how in the front seat row, we didn't, there was a lot of storage space where I can put my phone. I think I can put like my textbook or laptop in it. Probably. <laughs> I really like oh, yeah. the fact that there was so much leg room mm, in the yeah, back sure. and in the front of the car. There was, well, especially being short as well. My feet almost didn't touch the ground. The seats were great because it was very comfortable. You know, there was more spaces in leg room which made us to actually like lean on back and like, oh. And I sat in the backseat just to get a feel of what it's like to be a backseat passenger. And I really liked the fact that they still had the handles on the top of the door that you could hold on to when you're driving. They had heated seat warmers in the backseat, which is very rare for luxury cars, uh, let alone a Hyundai. You would not expect that, which was very nice. The other selling point for me was the backseat air conditioning was actually on the side console of the door rather than, you know, when it's normally in the, middle, the middle and you're getting air blown at your knees, the air conditioning blowing at your face instead. Did you find that the lack of engine noise or the lack of motion yeah, feel a bit carsick or put off in a way because it's not technically the traditional driving experience, you're not hearing the motor run? And you're not getting all of those sensations that you would be getting in a petrol engine car. Yeah, it was very different, but I wasn't really used to. So when David um, pressed the pedal, I was like, oh, yeah, for goodness sake. I, I, I think I felt like, oh, I'm almost in roller coaster. Price range starts from $69,900, which seems like a very good price for a car of this style and a fully electric vehicle fully charge its range is 430 to 481 kilometers per charge so i think this is an ideal car for a family who live in the city and want to make a conscious choice to be more environmentally friendly within their community i mean i totally agree to your point and i would um say the price is quite nice and there's still an issues with like charging, right? There isn't much electricity charging station at the moment. So that could be an issue too. But you know, if you see the windscreen, there's no wiper at the back. The back, yeah. the back windscreen doesn't have a wiper. So when it rains, it's quite hard to catch the back how it, when you're driving. Yeah, I think definitely it would be more suited to people that live in the city who have mm-hmm. access to these charging stations. Whilst it is a great option for some people, it's definitely not a car that would be useful or available to everyone. So that's definitely something that people would have to think about. I actually drove the car for about five or 10 minutes. I've never driven a car that nice before. David did put on the regenerative braking feature which basically meant that any time I would take my foot off the accelerator, the car would break itself, like start to slow down and stop itself, which I found almost quite annoying in a way. And if I owned that car, I would definitely turn that feature off. It took away from the driving experience and it made me feel sort of out of control as a driver. Distracting, right, yeah. It was a bit distracting. And I think that it it also made the driving experience a bit jolty and... (laughs) 
not as smooth as it would be if you were driving yourself. But I think once again, that's one of those features that you can definitely get used to if you were to own and drive that car. And it's nice to have the option that all of these features, whilst they're great, the driver can turn them off and doesn't have to use them. Yeah, I mean, in general, this is a nice car, but if you would recommend it to old people, I wouldn't probably recommend it. Definitely. Very technologically advanced and there's lots of little gadgets and things that you can switch on and change in the car. And whilst that's great for drivers that are uh, more aware of these technological changes and things like that, I don't think that it would be appropriate for older people to drive it would just make their experience confusing and possibly quite distracting as well all of the features we talked about that would make those people to not actually have good driving experience are you someone that gets car sick i don't really i don't really feel car sick at all when i'm driving because i don't know i'm just used to not getting sick of like cars because i i've been a lot of like in the passenger seats when my dad drives I think I'm the opposite. Even growing up, I was always oh, wow. that got car sick. And then yeah. being in the Hyundai Ionic, I did feel a little bit car sick in a way, not that I was going to be sick, but I did feel a bit nauseous. I think because of the lack of motion and the lack of engine noise. So I've had to wind down the window to get a feel of the outside car because sitting in the car, it, it almost barely feels like you're moving. Because it's so quiet. It's so quiet that it might get you to sleepy, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think this is a great car. Uh, I think a lot of people are shocked that a Hyundai can look this stylish and have this many great features and be at a price point that's quite a lot more reasonable than other luxury cars at the same level. And I think anyone that saw it on the street would not pick it to be a Hyundai. It had lots of fantastic technological features, lots of great driving features. That may also not work for some people. Some people don't like that. Some people would prefer a more simple stripped back car where they feel like they're driving. You know how from before the cars, people used to ride on horses. It's like that electric car is the next move of the car. Exactly. Yeah, that's so true. The electric car is the way of the future. Yeah, and like one third of the Generation G and M are millennials and Z, um, which is us. They make decisions on buying something through like if the brand is ethical or not. Like, So yeah. this is really quite considerable. That's why... The Hyundai Ioniq 5 could be purchased by many young adults. Yeah, definitely. And I think it would speak to a lot of young millennial or possibly even Gen Z adults who are wanting to start a family. It would be a perfect family car. There's lots of room to fit everyone. Large boot. There's plenty of room in the back for kids. There's plenty of room in the front for the parents. I think it would be a great option, a family in the city who are wanting to move towards buying an electric vehicle. It's a great car and I think we would both recommend it to anyone who's looking to buy an electric vehicle at quite, it's quite a nice price point. Yeah. I totally agree.
And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Paul Morell, Bill Thomas, Evan Jones, Florence Fuller, Rebecca Park, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.